Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts in chapter number 9. I'll give you this warning. I am on East Coast time, so it is, um, it's late. It's almost 11 o'clock, so uh, I'm not responsible for everything that I say, although I'll take responsible for some of the things I say. Uh, Acts chapter 9 in your Bible tonight. Uh, what a great spirit. I love this church. I love Moses Lake Baptist Church. Uh, coming back year by year, meeting different ones, seeing uh, some of the same ones. It's just a blessing. And I want you to know I've been praying for you. Brother Dennis been praying for you and will continue to do so. Brother Allen, it's good to have you tonight. A new friend of mine met him last week in Seattle. Thanks for coming, being a part of the service tonight. It means a lot to me. And it's just good to see what God's doing here. It's going to be an exciting day tomorrow. I'm telling you, it's going to be a great day. So even if you can't be here would you just be thinking about us and praying for us? Just take some time tomorrow. But if you can cheat over sometime tomorrow or throughout the day, either at the park or here at the church, why don't you stop in? Just stop in, and it's going to be standing room only. But th there's a lot of fun in that. And just sense the energy among the teenagers. It's going to be a great, great day together. Brother Robert, thanks for all that you're doing. Uh, Robert and I, we've known each other for years and years back at Lancaster Teen Camp. Matter of fact, uh, some of the crazy games you guys did back then where I would just I would just shut my eyes like, I can't believe they're doing this game. Someone's going to die. And then I come up here, you do the same game. So that prayer for safety is definitely the, the, the top of the list. Uh, and, uh, and, and if we get by tomorrow without injury, it'll be the first year. Okay, so let's pray that we have an injury-free year this year. But, uh, man, the kids love it, and it's a great, great day. Uh, Acts chapter 9 in your Bible, I bring you greetings from my wife, Wanda. Wanda said to say hello. Uh, she and I have been married for, uh, well, 31 years now. And so we have four, four children. My son, Nathaniel, and his wife, Charity, uh, live in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, they have three children, uh, Jaden, Judah, and we've added one uh, since last year, Juliet is our little baby granddaughter, and so uh, they, uh, they're in Pensacola. Then my son, uh, Joshua, is a student pastor in Topeka, Kansas, and so uh, Joshua and his wife, Rachel, are there. Matter of fact, Joshua is just in town this week, he surprised his mom for a day, so that was a blessing, and my son, Caleb, and his wife, Cass, they have been working with us at Faith Baptist in Fredericksburg, uh, and he's looking now to move into a ministry position. And so pray for him. Pray for him and his wife, Cassie, as they're looking and praying for their next ministry opportunity. And then my daughter, Hannah, is our youngest. She's unmarried. She just finished Bible college this past uh, May. And she's probably going to move to Australia. So I, I don't know what to think about that. But there's a great ministry in Sydney, Australia, and she loves it, and she, she's uh, going to go work for a year. That's kind of the plan right now. So pray for her as uh, she embarks upon the next uh, part of God's will for her life. And then we do have a dog, Flora, but that's a different story. Okay, Acts chapter 9 in your Bible. How many have a dog? 
That's good. Praise the Lord for you. Uh, how many have a cat? No comment. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And I want you to look at a passage of Scripture that you're familiar with. Um, and I want to look at it perhaps through a different lens tonight. Uh, not that we're going to make the Scripture say something it doesn't say. Uh, we're certainly not going to do that. But I want, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture tonight uh, in a way perhaps that we've not looked at it before. So Acts chapter 9, and look at verse 1, where the Bible says, And Saul, and you know him better later in the book as Paul, but Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, I think most of us know that in the early, uh, early Christianity, they weren't called Christians. As a matter of fact, they weren't even called Christians here. It wasn't until Antioch, some years later, they were called Christians first. So Christianity wasn't the name uh, by which they were called. As a matter of fact, early followers of Jesus were called the way. The way. That gives added meaning to what Jesus said, but he said, I am the way. And so when the Bible says that Paul or Saul here was trying to get authorization from the high priest in Jerusalem to go to find people of the way or this way, what that meant was followers of Jesus. Saul is seeking to imprison and in some cases execute those that are following the way or following Jesus. So watch what happens here in verse 2. Whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, so he's on this trip, and the implication is that he received the authorization. The implication is that the high priest has now sent him. He's 150 miles away because Damascus is 150 miles away from uh, Jerusalem, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul. Anytime in the Bible you see a, a name twice, it's a matter of attention and in most cases, even a matter of endearment. Martha, Martha, thou art cumbered about much serving. Lord, Lord, have we not done one? Simon, Simon, Satan, Saul, Saul, Jesus is speaking. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks or the goad, the cattle goad. It's hard for thee. We'll come back to that. Look at verse uh, 5. He said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, Lord said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee. There it is. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, this is Saul now, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. 
But they led him by the hand and brought him unto Damascus. He was there, and he, and he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. You know, this is the testimony, the, the salvation experience of uh, the Apostle Paul. This was this, his road to Damascus. Uh, Dennis, you've been to Israel on one of our trips, and, and maybe some of you in the future will get a chance to go with us. And if you do, I'll take you to a spot in the north of Galilee uh, that is along the road to Damascus. And we'll, we'll actually walk under a, an old Roman bridge, 2,000-year-old bridge, and we'll stand. We can actually climb up and you can stand on the road to Damascus. Now, was that the place where Saul got saved? Probably not. But we'll stand on the road to Damascus. And when we do that, I like to gather the group together. And I like to say, hey, where were you when you got saved? Where were you? For, for Saul, he never forgot it. I was on the road to Damascus. And any time he had a chance to tell people about it, whether it was on the steps of the Antonio Fortress in Acts 22, whether it was to the audience where Agrippa uh, was in Acts 26, wherever uh, Saul was, it seemed like he wanted to tell people, something happened to me. Something happened to me. We sing that song sometimes, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Uh, Paul saw the light on the road to Damascus. And I'd ask you tonight, where did you see the light? You know, where were you? I think, Naomi, you recently trusted Christ. And, you know, where were we when we trusted Christ as our Savior? For me, I was on my living room floor. 18 Dowd Street, Newington, Connecticut, back in 1982. That's when I trusted Christ as my Savior. You know, Michael, where were you when you trusted Christ as your Savior? Your bedroom. Where was it? In Oklahoma. Where were you, Carlos, when you got trusted Christ as your Savior? Goldendale, Washington, a teen camp. That's something. Brother Dennis, where were you when you trusted Christ as your Savior? Riverside Baptist Temple at the altar. Brother Allen, where were you when you trusted Christ as your Savior? Hey, people can even get saved in mobile homes. Amen. Amen. North Carolina. Thank God for that. And all of us right now, we're thinking about that spot, aren't we? The Apostle Paul was quick to give his testimony. He said, it's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he said this, of whom I'm chief. He said, how be it in me first, Jesus Christ, show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. In other words, the Apostle Paul said, let me tell you why Jesus saved me. He didn't have to save me. He shouldn't have saved me. I was the worst of the worst. Nobody was lower than I was. But let me tell you why I believe Jesus saved me. Here's what Paul told Timothy. Here's why I believe Jesus saved me. He saved me so that nobody would ever have the excuse that Jesus couldn't save them. Because I was the worst of the worst. I mean, I murdered Christians for a living. My job was to hunt them down. My job was to find them wherever they went. My job was to arrest them. My job was to preside over their execution. That was my job. And so if Jesus could save me, he can save anybody. 
And maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know, Pastor Scully, I've never trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Maybe, and I don't think that's the case. It's the Wednesday night crowd, but let me just say that. Maybe, maybe tonight you're here. You say, you, you just don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the things, the secret things in my life. Listen, it makes no difference. Jesus can save anybody. Matter of fact, that's my message tonight. My message tonight is don't give up on anybody. Don't give up on anybody. Because I can promise you there's somebody in your life right now who needs to be saved that down deep in your heart you're thinking they'll never get saved. There's somebody in your life right now that you're thinking, you know, I'd love for them to be saved. I've prayed for them to be saved. It'd be wonderful for them to be saved, but I just don't think they'll ever get saved. Matter of fact, truth be told, there are probably, probably some people here tonight, you, you've, you've kind of, you've not said it out loud, and you would never say it out loud because you don't want to, that would just sound wrong. But in your heart of hearts, you've given up on them. You've given up on them. They're not going to get saved. You've even stopped praying that cantankerous neighbor, that sarcastic coworker, that cousin that uh, makes fun of you at the family gathering. You're the religious nut. They'll never get saved. They're, they're hardened. And my, my, my admonition tonight to all of us, myself included, is this. Let's not give up on anybody. I want to show you three things in the text tonight. Three, three, three truths in this passage I think that'll help every one of us. Okay, first of all tonight, I want us to see what, what we see. That's the easy thing. What do we, when we look at people, when we look at people in our lives and say, you know, that person probably will never get saved. That girl, I mean, that woman, she'll never get saved. What, what are we looking at when we say that? When, when we say those things and say, hey, that person will never get saved. Why? What's the evidence? What is it that we're seeing in their life? What is it that we're seeing about them that would say, hey, that person is not going to ever trust Jesus Christ as his Savior? What do we see? We'll talk about that. And then secondly, tonight, let's talk about what we don't see. And that's the part I really want us to, to hone in on. What do we see? Because what we see often causes us to stop praying. What we see often causes us to go on to the next one. What we see often causes us to give up. Okay, so what do we see? But what don't we see? What, what is it? in the passage that you and I don't see because there were some things that nobody could see in this passage except God. So what don't we see? What do we see? What don't we see? And then how about this? And we'll just end with this uh, when we get to the end of the message tonight. And that is, you know, what, what will we see? And by faith, you know, encouragingly. You know, what will we see? And I, I think I can say that with, with confidence, that there are some things I believe we will see that are amazing things when it comes to people trusting Christ as Savior. Okay, so that's our outline. What do we see? What don't we see? What will we see? Okay, first of all tonight, let's look at what do we see? Look at the text again, Acts chapter 9. What do we see? Well, the Bible says, and Saul... So we see the people 
uh, that we don't believe will be saved. We see them, we'll talk about him, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest. So what do we see? When we see people that we don't think will ever get saved, what do we see? Well, let's talk about Saul. What did people that were on the sidelines of Saul's life, what did they see in Saul? Okay, I would say, first of all, if you knew Saul, if you interacted with Saul, if uh, you uh, lived in the same city as Saul and knew who he was, here's what you saw. You saw a religious man. I mean, above all people, you saw a religious man. I mean, the Apostle Paul gave his own testimony in Philippians chapter 3. I mean, his pre-Christ testimony in Philippians 3. Here's what, here's what he said. He said, man, I was a Jew of the Jews. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, when it came down to observing the Mosaic law, I was the God. When it came down to uh, being strict about the observances, I was the God. Remember, the, Jesus said the Pharisees, they would tithe on the mint and the cumin. They would count out the little seeds to, to tithe on. And what Paul said is Paul said, hey, I was a Pharisee, but I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. So, man, I did it more than anybody. I was more fastidious than anybody about keeping every little facet of the law. I mean, I was the best of the best. You talk about a guy that knew his stuff. You talk about a guy that was smart. This guy, he went to, he went to college. Man, he was under the tutelage of Gamaliel. That's what he told us in Acts chapter 22, the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was the best. He was the smartest of the smartest. He was the valedictorian. He was the guy that was under the, the best teacher of the day. He knew all the theology. He knew all the isms. He knew all the ologies. I mean, if anybody could win an argument, it was Saul. Saul was the man. He was the up-and-comer. Matter of fact, the Bible says he was a young man. Because in Acts chapter 7, when he presided over Stephen's death, the Bible says they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So here's a guy that's full of zeal. Here's a guy that's full of knowledge. Here's a guy that's uh, an up-and-comer. Here's a guy that knows the high priest. I mean, if anybody was going to be impossible to reach, it was Saul. It'd be like, it would be like you witnessing to the most... A zealous, young, smart theologian in the Catholic Church. You know, you're on an airplane and you talk to this guy. And he's saying, you know, I just graduated from Notre Dame. Really? Yeah. With my doctorate. Really? Yeah. Oh, and I've, I've been on mission trips. I, I go to the Vatican every year. I know the Pope. Yeah, we've, we've started churches. Yeah, I mean, I grew up, uh, my, my grandma was, my mom's Catholic, my dad's Catholic, my grandma's Catholic. We've been Catholic for, for centuries. That's who we are. That's what our family is. Everything we do. You start trying to, try to witness that guy. You're not going to get anywhere. You know why? He knows more Bible than you know. You're going to try to whip out the Romans road. He's going to talk to you about the theology of Romans. You're going to try to whip out some verse in Galatians. He's going to tell you what it really means. He's going to go back and tell you what the Greek is. He's going to tell you what the Hebrew is. He's going to go to the Old Testament. I mean, this guy knows his stuff. Have you ever witnessed someone like that? Have you ever had people in your life, they're religious people, ever stop them and say, oh, wow. 
They, they know what they're talking. They, these aren't casual people. Uh, sometimes the people that are easy to witness to are people that don't really know the Bible. And you're teaching them. And here's what they're, oh, I never saw that before. You say, here's what the Bible says in Romans 3.10. Yeah, I never understood that principle. Here's what it says in Romans 3.23. Romans 6.1. Oh, wow. You know, what must I do to be saved? Sometimes you witness to people like that. But that's not, that's not Paul. That's not Saul. No, Saul, he's a religious man. And sometimes the hardest people in the world to lead to Jesus Christ are religious people. And you've got them in your life. You've got them. It was my grandma. It was my grandma, listen, who went to Mass every day of her life. Irish, Roman Catholic, she went to Mass every day of her life. She lit a candle every day of her life. She prayed her rosary every day of her life. Said her Hail Mary every day of her life. Icons everywhere. She, she, her big dream was to go to the Vatican once in her life. And, uh, she would, she, she, every day of her life. Our big my grandma, we pray for her every day. After, after I went to Bible college, every day praying for my grandma, going to the nursing home when she was in her, in her 90s and pleading with my grandma to trust Christ as her Savior. You say, did she ever trust Christ? I don't know. I hope she did. She'd pray with me, but man, she was so ensconced in that religion. I mean, that's Paul. That's Paul. That's Saul. He was a religious fanatic. But not only do I see that he was a and everybody saw that. Everybody. He wore that on his sleeve. Everyone knew what Saul was. He was a religious fanatic. But not only was he a religious fanatic, could I say this number two? He was radicalized. Not only was he religious, he was radicalized. It wasn't just, hey, you got your religion, I've got my religion. You say tomato, I say tomato. Okay, let's sit down and talk about it. No, that wasn't Saul. Saul was not reasonable. Saul wasn't going to sit down and say, okay, you know, tell me about Jesus and tell me about why you believe that he might be Messiah and, and I'll tell you why. No, no, he wasn't reasonable about it at all. Now, he knew his stuff. He knew his stuff well, but, but he was radical. His teacher wasn't radical. You know, Gamaliel, Gamaliel wasn't radical. You know what the Bible says about Gamaliel? The Bible says about Gamaliel that when Christianity began to rise in Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel actually said to the Sanhedrin council, hey guys, don't get too worked up. If this is really, gonna, if this is really of God, uh, then, then it, we can't stop it. If it's not of God, it'll fizzle out. I mean, Gamaliel had more of a tolerant view of Christianity. But guess what? His student didn't. His student Saul, oh, Saul went well beyond his teacher. Gamaliel was tolerant, but not Saul. Saul was intolerant. Saul was the guy that said, hey, Stephen, you ought to be put to death. Remember, Stephen preached to the Sanhedrin council in Acts chapter 7, and they took him outside of the city, uh, and they threw stones at him until he died. Well, the Bible says they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. That means Saul was the one that authorized the death of Stephen. Hey, he watched a man have stones thrown at him until he died. Wrap your mind around that. He watched men in anger throw rocks at another man against a wall until he died. And that man's face shone in innocence. That man prayed for the ones that were throwing rocks at him. 
That man had the love of Jesus all about him, and Saul was so hardened, Saul was so callous, it meant nothing to him. It meant nothing to him as he watched this man literally gasp for his last breath. That was, he was a fanatic. He was a radical religious nut. We'll never forget 9-11. We all know where we were on 2001. If you're old enough, it's my birthday, 9-11. It was my 35th birthday, 2001. I'll never forget when my secretary said, Pastor, uh, my mother called and said something's going on in New York City. An airplane. I dismissed it. I just thought a little commuter plane had gotten into an accident. A little bit later, she said, you need to go see this. And like you, I, I, I stumbled over to the TV and began to watch in horror as that second plane crashed and reports of un, 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 undocumented, uh, some planes are up, we haven't do don't know where they are, and now the Pentagon and, 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 and Pennsylvania, and we didn't know what was happening. And then we learned, oh, some radicalized, some radicalized religious nuts are giving their lives to destroy these famous American iconic places to send their message. Who would do that? Who would be so radical to give his whole life to the destruction of Saul? Saul would do that. Saul was this kind of radical religious He's not the kind of person you witness to. He's not the kind of person that gets saved. He's the kind of person you stay away from. He's the kind of person you run from. No, these people don't get saved. Man, he was religious. He was radical. Watch this. He was relentless. In Acts 7, he's standing there watching Stephen die. In Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says he's wreaking havoc on the church. Do you know that the people in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, scattered from Jerusalem because of Saul, because of what Saul was doing? Uh, he's going from house to house. Oh, not, not witnessing, not preaching, not passing out tracts. Hey, he's arresting people. He's beating people. He's presiding over executions, the Bible says. And they're running. Do you know that Saul had as much to do with getting the gospel around the world before he was saved as he did after he was saved? He just didn't know it. He's getting these people, the persecuted people, to go all around the world. Well, they're preaching the gospel where they go. I mean, Saul was preaching the gospel before he ever preached the gospel. I mean, he is religious. He is radical. He is relentless. Uh, one full year later, the Bible says in Acts chapter 9, Saul yet breathing out, yet breathing out. Ever wonder what that means? Yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter. What does that mean? Breathing out threatenings and slaughter. <laughs> what that means is that's what, that's, what, that's what got Saul up in the morning, breathing out. It'd be like uh, those of you that are hunters or, or fishermen, you go outside in the, in the morning air and you, you breathe. <gasps> Do you breathe that? This is a day, this is a day for fishing. To, to breathe that fishing air. A golfer. Oh, breathe that golfing air. For Saul, it was a good day to kill Christians. 
Good day to hunt down believers. Good day to stamp out followers of Jesus Christ. That's what the verse means. Hey, people like this don't get saved. Now listen, who is that in your life? Who's the person right now in your life that you're saying, that person would never get saved? Man, they're so ensconced in their religious, religious, uh, that's who they are. It's like going to India and watching these people uh, that go to the, 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 the Hindu temple or, or going to uh, some of the places I've gone, and like Ireland, where Catholicism is so cultural in their lives. Uh, that these people will never get saved. Maybe there's people like that in your life, like my own dad, who grew up as an altar boy. The Catholic Church, Washington Heights, New York City. They moved to Nanuet, New York, when he was in eighth grade. He, he turned his back on religion, became an atheist. Went to Madeline Murray O'Hare meetings, Ann Ryan meetings, Ann Rand meetings. Married my mother, mocked her faith, left us when I was almost four years of age. One of the reasons he left us is because my mother refused to stop sending us to Sunday school, went to a little Lutheran Sunday school. My dad said, that's religious jargon and garbage. I don't want my kids to be brainwashed. He met another woman at work and went away. I didn't even know my dad. Didn't meet him as an adult until I was 24. Prayed and prayed and prayed that my dad would get saved. I'll come back to that. Who in your life you'd say, that person would never get saved? Hey, that's the way I see it. What people saw in Saul's life is that guy will never get saved. Look at what it says. Look at Acts 9. Look at verse 10. Acts 9 and verse 10. And there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. He said, behold, I'm here, Lord. The Lord said, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, inquire in the house of Judas uh, for one called Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he prayeth. He's seen a vision of a man. He, he's going to know you're coming. Look at verse 13, what Ananias says. And Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by, by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And he, here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all the call on his name. So, so God comes to Ananias and said, Ananias, go to Saul. He, I told him that you're coming. And Ananias said, Lord, you don't know who this guy is. What's Ananias saying? Ananias is saying, Lord, even though you're talking to me, this guy would never get saved. Isn't that what he's saying? Look at verse 21. Verse 21. But all this now, now Saul, he's, Ananias goes, he gets baptized, he comes back to Damascus. But all that heard him were amazed. And they said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? Hey, when Saul finally began preaching in Damascus, people said, This is not possible. That guys like this just don't get saved. Oh, by the way, three years later. So now it's been three years 
Because Saul's been on the backside of the desert, comes back to Damascus. He gets out by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin and goes back down to Jerusalem. And watch what happens in verse 26. Verse 26. And when Saul comes to Jerusalem, he essayed, he tried to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not he was a disciple. Three years later, the people that have the most faith in the world, the disciples themselves, I'm going to have Peter, Andrew, James, and John, these guys, they don't believe for one second this guy got saved. That guy would never get saved. Even after he's saved, they're saying that guy could never get saved. Do you know somebody like that? Do you know somebody in your life that say, man, that person would be the last person in the world I would ever think would be saved. You know why we believe that? Because we operate on what we can see. And what they saw was a religious fanatic who was radical and relentless, and that guy would be the last guy in the world who would ever get saved. That's what they saw. Okay? But what did they not say? Quickly, what did they not say? Look at verse 2 of our text. What did they not say? Look at verse 2. And desired of him, Saul did letters. Verse 3, he journeyed. He came near Damascus. And suddenly, watch this, there shined round about him a light from heaven. Now, Paul, when he gives the testimony in chapter 22 and chapter 26, tells us more detail. And he says, oh, by the way, it was noontime. So a light shined at noontime. That must have been some light because it's pretty bright out at noontime. But you know what? When Jesus gets a hold of your life, his light outshines any light. And uh, Saul, he knew something was going on. And watch what Jesus says in verse 4. So he falls to the earth. He heard a voice. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why? Because when Jesus, when we persecute uh, the church of God, the body of Christ, Jesus takes it personally. Look at verse 5. He said, Who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So what was happening in Saul's life that nobody saw? I see religion. I see radical. I see relentless. I see the most hardened guy, the most mean, the most vile, the most hateful man. That's what I see. A man that watches people get stoned to death. A man that arrests women and brings them to prison and watches them die. I mean, that guy will never get saved. Okay? But what's going on that you and I don't see? Okay? What we're finding out here in verse 4. Here's what's going on. Saul is under great conviction. Saul is under great conviction. God is working in places that we cannot go. Can I just tell you something? God has the ability to work in a person's life in places that you can't go. Now, you can go across the, the hall at work and talk to him. You can go across the street and knock on his door. You can go across the room at the family gathering and try to have a conversation there are places you can go, but let me tell you something. Here's a place you can't go. You can't go down into their heart and make things happen. You can't go down there and stab a little fester in that heart. You can't do that. God goes places that you and I cannot go. And let me just tell you something. God, the Holy Spirit of God, was going into the life of, of Saul. And, do, and by the way, he said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. 
God was stabbing him, goading him time after time. There were multiple things that were happening. Saul would arrest somebody, and he'd see their attitude, and he couldn't figure it out. Saul sat in that Sanhedrin council room, and Stephen gave that message from the Old Testament, that great message. He talked about Messiah. And Saul sat there and thought, hmm, that makes sense, but it can't be true. What's God doing? Goading him, goading him like a cattle goad, making the, the ox go to plow, making the donkey go to work, and, and Saul's kicking. I don't want to move. I'm not moving. I'm a Jew. I'm not moving. I know what I believe. I'm not moving. Uh, Christ, Jesus Christ was an apostle. I'm not moving. And he kicked, and he kicked, and he kicked, and Jesus said, it's getting hard for you because I keep on showing you who I am. I keep on showing you through testimonies of people. You watch Stephen die. You couldn't figure it out. He was praying for you. His last breath, he prayed for you. Read it, Acts 7 and verse 60. Stephen was praying for Saul. And Saul, you can't figure that out. And I'm goading you. And you're kicking. And you heard the message, and I'm goading you. And you're rejected. It's hard for you, isn't it? That's why you're so angry. See, when people are angry, when people react violently to the gospel, I say, that's not a bad thing. That means they're under conviction. It's not the people that are angry at the gospel that bother me. It's the people that are blasé that bother me. The people that, well, you know, okay, that's good if that's what you believe. I mean, those are the people that are really in danger. No, when there's anger, that means something's going on. A work of conviction's taking place. Be encouraged by that. And that's what's happening here. He's being goaded. That's why the, the writer of Ecclesiastes said, the words of the wise men, they're as goads. The words, the word of God, it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharp, it points, it pricks. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. Saul, it's hard for you. I mean, don't give up. You might just share one verse of Scripture. You, you might just bow your head to pray at that lunch table, and they make fun of you. And, and, your, and your, your loved one at the family gathering looks down on you. And, oh, you go to that church. And, oh, they're taking some more of your money, aren't they? And, oh, you spent all your time there. Oh, your kids, you got them a little brainwashed. You know what they're doing? They're, they're, trying to get, they're trying to take that conviction and let it out. They're trying to find some way to, to they're trying to get, push your button. And listen, don't let it happen. Understand, God's doing something. God's doing something. He's working in places that you cannot go. But watch this. He's not only working in places that you cannot go. He's working through people that you do not know. Because listen, Saul had all these people touching his life in different places that you don't even know. Do you know what happened? Stephen, he, he must have, he, humanly speaking, he, he gets hauled into the Sanhedrin council He's, he's preaching to the, the, the Greek-speaking Jews at that synagogue, remember, back in Acts 6? One of the first deacons, and man, just having a great, and then preaching that great message in Acts 7, and then he's dead. He's this young, new deacon, loves the Lord, he's dead. And he, and, and he prays in his dying prayer. He sees the Lord Jesus and says, Lord Jesus, please do not lay this to their charge. Lord, I know that they're ignorant. Lord, uh, just use this in their life. He's praying for them. Do you know that Stephen never, humanly speaking, never saw the answer to his prayer? But his prayer was answered. 
He never saw the answer to his prayer, but his prayer was answered. He prayed for, for Saul. And guess what? Saul got saved. You know, I, I remember leading a, a sailor to Christ years ago. Years ago. We had a, a ministry, my wife and I, along with others, we'd reach sailors at the Great Lakes Naval Base, and they'd come to our house, and we'd keep them uh, for the weekend. We saw many of them saved. I led one sailor to Christ. I wish I could remember his name, but he said to me, he said, oh, my grandma would be so happy. I said, well, let's call her. He said, no, no, she died. He said, but she always would tell me she was praying for me to get saved. See, you don't always see it. You don't always see it, but you don't have to see it. We need to trust him that God can go places that you and I can't go. And God can use situations and people that you and I don't see. And sometimes it's Apollos, that, that, that uh, Paul that plants, and then, and then he leaves Corinth, and all these Jews at Corinth that he wanted to reach, but the Jews wouldn't listen to Paul at Corinth. He, he reached a couple, Aquila and Priscilla, he reached them, but, but, but basically he reached the Gentiles. And, and then Paul had to leave. After 18 months, he had to leave. And he had this great burden for the Jews. That was his heart's cry, Romans 9, Romans 10. His prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, but they were, they're not listening to him. And so Paul leaves Corinth, and he goes to Ephesus, and he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there, and he goes on back to Jerusalem. And, and in the meantime, Apollos comes from Alexandria, and he's a good preacher, but his theology is a little bit messed up, and Priscilla and Aquila, they, they've been discipled by Paul, and they take Apollos and say, Apollos, here's what the Bible says, and Paul says, oh, I didn't know that, and Paul, Apollos learned some things, and guess where Apollos goes? He goes back to Corinth, and back at Corinth, man, he's a good, eloquent preacher. He's preaching the gospel. Guess who gets saved? Many Jews. So Paul loves the Jews there, they won't get saved. But he preaches the gospel. He's thinking, they're never going to get saved. But he reaches Priscilla and Aquila, who go to Ephesus, who reaches Apollos, who go back and reaches the people that Paul wanted to reach. Paul reaches people who reach somebody who reaches the people Paul wanted to reach. I'm just saying, the Lord is the Lord of the harvest. It doesn't have to be you that leads them to Christ. Do your job. Do your job. Love them. Pray for them. Witness to them when God lays that upon your heart. Pray for wisdom. But understand that he's the Lord of the harvest. He knows who's plucking. He knows who's planting. He knows who's plowing. He knows who's watering. Just do your job because God can go to places that you can't go like people's hearts and God can use people that you don't even know. He can use people. How many times have we led someone to Christ or someone's been led to Christ and listen, they'll, they'll say, you know, my mom, my mom, she raised me this way. Yeah, she's the one that did all the plowing. She's the one that did all the planting. She's the one that watered for years and years and years and years and you came along and plucked that corn off the stalk. Listen, it's a group effort but God's the one that gives the increase. Don't give up on anybody. Now, God can go places you can't go. He can use people that you don't know. And listen, he can create situations that you can't create. See, God can do things in people's lives to get their attention that you can't do. Sometimes you want to jump up and down and say, listen, Jesus loves you. Listen, get saved. And so they, they look at you like you're, you're crazy. But you know what God knows that you don't know? He knows how to get people's attention. It's like the, our own loved ones. They know, how to, they know how to get our attention. My wife, she knows how to push every button I have. 
And I can push hers too, right? You know what God knows? He knows all our buttons. You know what God did? He got a hold of Saul. God can get the, bring that whole light from heaven thing down. You don't, you don't have that going on. Remember my dad? I prayed for him every day. You know what God did for him? God gave him fourth-stage pancreatic cancer when he was 50. Well, he's my age. Right now, I'll be 53. When he was my right now, he got it. And it was the greatest blessing of his life. Because my dad wouldn't listen to anything else. This was not a, this was not a, this was, this was not a Dennis Fountain testimony. This wasn't a man of God whose, whose testimony and trial of affliction had been a blessing to people that you don't even know. No, this was a man that knew nothing of God. This was a man that was rejecting God. And God says, I'm going to get your attention. And he did. My dad died. He died. Age 56, he died. I'm going to tell you something. Two months before he died, I sat in his hospital room and led him to Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, God can create situations that we can't create. He knows. He knows. He knows we'll get you on your knees. For Saul, he got him on his knees, didn't he? Is Saul, he put him down, hey, you're not going to eat, you're not going to drink, you're not going to see you're not, you're not as, as smart as you think you are. You're not as powerful as you think you are. He showed him, didn't he? That's what God can do. Don't give up on anybody. I know there's things you can see, and everything you can see is telling you he'll never get saved. Everything that you're looking at will tell you she will never get saved. But I'm telling you something. There's things you can't see. Like God's going places you can't go. He's using people you don't know. He's creating situations that you can't create, okay? Pray and trust. God can save anybody. And then number three, and lastly, not only do I see that there are some things that we can see, and then there are some things that we can't see, but I'm going to say this by faith. There are some things that we're, that we're going to see. You know what the story of Acts is? The story of Acts is the story of unlikely conversions. That's what it is. That's the whole story of Acts. The whole story of Acts is, yeah, this would never happen. Yeah, okay, these, these Jews show up. Listen to me. These Jews show up for a Jewish feast. Thousands of them. They're, they're coming to celebrate the, the feast of, of, of Pentecost. But you know what happens? They get saved. That's unlikely. Here's this man that sits by the gate beautiful every day. All he wants is money. And Jesus has a bigger person. No, no, no. He got saved and 5,000 other people that know who this guy is and walk by him every single day of his life. They see him every single day so they know he's lame. They know his condition. They know he's never going to get better. And now they see, oh, wow, Jesus of Nazareth saved him. Boy, he can save me. And 5,000 people got saved. And then later on, Saul gets saved. Later on, Cornelius gets saved. You just go right down the list. I'm just telling you, if you'll stay around long enough, you're going to see some amazing things happen. You're going to see people get saved that you never thought would get saved. You're going to see lives change that you never thought would change. If you'll just stay around, I'm just telling you, that's God's business. He's in the soul-saving business. And can I just say this too? 
you stay around long enough, you'll see some people you thought were saved that weren't. And that's a scary thought. You stay around this thing long enough, you'll see some people that you thought were saved. Like a Judas. You'll see like maybe a Demas. Or maybe like an Ananias and Sapphira. And they may have been saved, but I'm just saying, you'll see some crazy things too. All I'm saying is this. You don't see it the way you think you can see it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Be faithful to share the gospel. Be faithful to your local church. And watch and see what God can do through you in the lives of people for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.